Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. Apologize. You probably hear it in my voice, a little bit of a cold. But that's okay, because my guest today is going to do most of the talking. It's my pleasure to welcome a five-time Eisner Award winner, comic creator, Chip Zdarsky, to the show. Chip, thanks for joining me. Oh, my God. Five-time? Yeah. I hadn't even done that math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was counting it up, and I was like, what? Five? And, and well-deserved, especially for the most recent yeah. one, Public Domain. Uh, why don't we start off by uh, by talking about public domain? Yeah, sure. For people that are um, subscribers to your Substack, they get to read it early, but it has come out in print. Uh, why don't you give everybody an idea of what it's about? And I know, uh, I think for your subscribers, they've already gotten the very first bit of the return of it. When can we expect that in print? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll answer the first question first. The uh, uh, public domain is about a family where the dad back in the early 80s, created uh, a superhero. He's the artist on a, a comic. And uh, and nowadays, that superhero is like one of the biggest characters in the world. And so as a story as old as time, he doesn't really reap the benefits of that, um, which, uh, which doesn't much bother him because he was happy to do the work. But uh, his son uh, takes umbrage with that. And so it's all about kind of... Um, the fight with the corporation that owns it and the family kind of fighting and then coming together. And yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's unfortunately a semi true story when you kind of look at the comic industry, but, uh, but it's been fun to, to make it. And yeah, in terms of coming out, um, uh, my Substack subscribers have been getting issues six, seven, and eight. Um, eight's coming out right now. And, uh, basically once I have one more issue done, I'm going to start soliciting it. So should be the new series should be out probably in the summer. I'd imagine. Okay. So was there any concern? I mean, uh, like you said, tale as old as time, this is something yeah. that, that, you know, happens still today, maybe not quite to the extent there's a little more, you know, revenue sharing and royalties and, and whatnot. But I mean, as a, as a freelancer, as a creator, you have stories you want to tell. Uh, mm -hmm. But sometimes it's a struggle. I mean, you freelance, we're talking, you know, you don't have benefits, you don't have steady work and, and that kind of thing. Um, so so kind of meta. And is it something you've wanted to kind of explore in, in a comic story for a while? Yeah, it's one of those weird things where um, I, I do a podcast, a competing podcast, I'm sorry, Um <laughs> <clears throat> called manga explaining where friends and I basically have a book club where we read manga every week um, because I didn't know a lot about it kind of going in. So I've been learning as I, as I go. Um, they're all kind of experts in the field. And so one of the things I noticed reading manga was that um, so many of the books were just, just felt like topics that the creator just wanted to do. Right. Where like in North America, it tends to be uh, when you think creator, I was like, oh, here's my superhero book or here's my horror book or here's my, you know, cowboy meets sci fi or whatever. Like it's just kind of mashing of genres and kind of tweaks on that. Whereas in Japan, um, I was reading a lot of books where just like, oh, this is a book about ping pong. Like this is a book about like radio DJs or this is a book about rice. Like it, it, it felt like it felt like the creators, they were just kind of figuring out what their, where their interests lay. And they, they went with that. And so I, I had the thing where I was like, all right, what are my, what are my interests? And I had the very sad realization that it was just comics. <laughs> like I, I've got no hobbies. I don't collect anything. I don't really uh, do much with my spare time. Um, 
but the com comics and comic industry stuff uh, is always fascinating to me. And every time there's a new book out about the history of comics, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm the first to read it. Um, so that felt like the story that I wanted to tell, uh, though um, obviously a a greatly fictionalized version. You think that stems from your background as a as a journalist? You know, that was your career first before you got in uh, to comics as an artist and, and now uh, as a writer, you know, obviously you still draw sometimes as well, but do you think that that has something to do with, you know, wanting to explore the, the history and, and kind of the, you know, the actual facts of the comic industry? I mean, maybe I've never been much of a nonfiction guy, um, which is weird because I did work at newspapers. Um, that tended to be where I got all my nonfiction was reading the news. Um, but, but even, even before that period, like, um, all the ins and outs of the comic industry were always fascinating to me, even as a kid. Like whenever I'd buy a Marvel comic, like I'd almost immediately go to like the bullpen bulletins where mm -hmm. Stan Soapbox or whatever, like any kind of hint of what's kind of behind the scenes or what's coming up. Like I, I was really into that. Um, and that just carried through to being an adult. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are some newspaper kind of touchstones in public domain because uh, one of the characters worked at a newspaper and then transitioned into transitions into doing comics, which is what I did. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there's hints of newspaper in there for sure. Yeah. Again, uh, listeners, uh, people watching on YouTube, if you haven't read it, check it out. Totally deserving of, uh, of winning the Eisner for a uh, oh, best series last year. Um, your other creator on that's coming out right now, Newburn, uh, mm -hmm. crime noir and, you know, really fascinating. This this uh, former police detective almost has carte blanche to investigate. He, he sort of works for the, the you know, crime families of New York, mm -hmm. sort of has um, a lot of power. Uh, yeah. and it's very interesting. I want to talk about the the story structure um, yeah. because you, you've struck a really interesting balance between this long form story for Easton, uh, Easton Newburn, the, the mm -hmm. main character, as well as, uh, his, I guess, protege, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. Emily. Yeah. Um, the, and there's this longer form story that seems like we may see the final disposition of Easton for lack of a better way to put it <laughs> or see where Emily ends up, but there's also a procedural feel to it. Is that purposeful? Do you want to kind of have that balance? Yeah. hundred percent. I wanted to, like, I'm a fan of like TV procedurals. You know, whether it's like Law and Order or like The Mentalist, like mm -hmm. um, I like I like the done in ones. Like we often talk in comics about the done in one stories, mm -hmm. um, and this felt like a fun challenge to basically have a, a self contained mystery in each issue. But um, but but much like those kind of TV shows, like to have like a kind of a through line where there's another story kind of being told like over a season or whatever. Um, I, I wanted that element as well, because there's obviously a mystery behind Newburn's past and why Emily and, you know, how things are going to kind of uh, fall apart uh, with his dealings with the various crime families. Um, so that was always a, a real conscious thing to make sure we were kind of laying the, uh, the, the the seeds throughout each issue so so you can still read an issue and just have like a full story um uh until kind of recently because now we're like we're a little bit in the end game so yeah. so there, there's more of a to be continued vibe from uh from these last few issues yeah definitely almost like a gang war uh ramping up but uh mm -hmm. being that we're in the end game so you you know how it ends obviously we, mm -hmm. we don't want to spoil um but one of the things I've noticed about your work, a lot of times you you have kind of an open-ended ending 
where you can come back? Is that just a desire to be a little ambiguous and have the reader kind of bring their own conclusion to it? Or do you leave it open-ended because, hey, maybe I want to might want to go back to these characters someday? Um, it's not really about coming back to the characters. Uh, I don't know. Maybe subconsciously it is. I've never really kind of considered it. I know with, with Stillwater, that was a very specific thing. Um, you know, spoilers to the end of Stillwater. But um, I kind of I always knew from the beginning that we were going to end with the idea of the curse opening up to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like a... One, it was kind of a fun fun beat to end on, but also uh, there's an opportunity there. Like, like I'm done with Stillwater, but maybe Skybound wants to do a Still World book or something, right? Um, so it's, it's, weirdly, it's a bit of a gift to them to do with as they as they please. Um, like, like in fiction, stories never feel like they fully end. Right. Like at the at the it's very rare at the end of a movie, just like that's it. The end, like characters live, characters have various relationships. Like there's no such thing as a happily ever after, really, um, because there's always potential for more. Um, So, yeah, so um, I Stillwater was pretty conscious, but everything else, it's like, I mean, look, maybe I'm I'm dissecting this right now, kind of (laughs) in real time. But maybe a lot of that is just the influence of superhero comics on me because we don't really end things right there you know I, I often talk about how um matt fraction uh has said publicly and to me um that writing superhero comics is right writing a constant second act mm-hmm. like you're never really doing act one you're never really doing the final act but you're you're you've got to keep the momentum going in that in that in that series and that's that's the act two of it all um so yeah, maybe, maybe there's a bit of that as well because with Daredevil, like we have an ending, but we also like kind of leave you like, oh, but maybe there's more. Yeah, the illusion, the illusion of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so so interesting because and I do want to touch on Stillwater, but one more thing about Newborn, um, Jacob Phillips is your mm-hmm. um, you know collaborator on that. Yeah, brilliant art. Most people uh, or maybe people don't realize uh, he does a lot of the color work over his uh, his father Sean Phillips. Mm-hmm. Baker and, and Phillips. Uh, I didn't even know he 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 did line work until you know I saw this and he's been just brilliant. What's it like been uh collaborating with him? Um and talk a little bit about the process. Do you write you know full scripts, panel descriptions, that kind of thing, or do you just kind of throw it over and trust him to do uh do a great job? Yeah, I mean I write full script for him, but um but I, I tend to write full script for everyone. Like, I don't know if I could actually break free of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he appreciates it because he's a real, you know, workhorse, like kind of like his, his dad, like he just sits down he just goes, he's just like, all right, what's the job? Let's do it. I don't think there's a lot of kind of deliberating or hemming and hawing when he's working. He's just, he's really good. He's got great instincts. So he just kind of does it. Um, yeah. I, I discovered his work you know, uh, a few years ago when him and his dad came to Toronto for a comic show. And I was like, Oh man, like his work's really good. And I ended up like mailing away for one of his mini comics. I'm like, Oh shit. Like this kid's got it. And he's young. Like I got to get my claws in him before Brubaker <laughs> does. Frankly. <laughs> and he's, yeah, he's, he's amazing to work with because he, he is, he's fast and he's diligent and, uh, and he does great work. Um, which is just so rare to find in this industry. And, you know, I try to take it easy on him because like, you know, the standard kind of North American comics are 20 pages. Um, 
sometimes 22. Uh, but with Newburn, I kept it down to 16. I kept it really tight for him. And um, I kind of fleshed out a lot of the exposition with the diary pages mm -hmm. uh, just to make sure that, you know, we have enough space to tell the story. So, yeah, he's he's great. Like the fact that he's doing so many projects as well, because he's working with Chris Condon on so many stuff, so much stuff. Um, and he's doing like the graphic novel for like the Francis Ford Coppola movie. Like wow. <laughs> and, and also every once in a while, someone will be like, oh, here's the illustration I did for this project. I'm like, what? Like, where'd you find the time? Yeah. The energy of youth. Right. Yeah. 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 It makes me a little upset. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the diary entries because that also I, I love that, uh, you know, we get Emily's thoughts, we get, uh, you know, a little bit of explanation about what's going on and also adds to the procedural feel. But the other thing it does is it allows space in the back that we're getting these short stories and you're giving mm -hmm. maybe some lesser known creators a chance to tell their crime noir story. Yeah. Um, is that a way for you to, to, to give back? Have you enjoyed doing that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew because we were kind of doing the shorter story. I was like, well, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, the, the comic is worth the money that you're spending on it. Um, and yeah, like just being able to kind of tap into kind of friends and kind of people that I, I know their work, but they haven't had a, like a, like a shot, I guess yet. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and even seeing some established people in there as well, like um, David Brothers and Nick Dragota did the, the recent the backup mm -hmm. and obviously Nick Dragota is not an up and coming talent. Right. Yeah. And, and Dave has been in the industry for a long time doing, doing stories with Nick actually. Um, but that was really fun to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been nice. Like uh, even, even just for me, it keeps me interested in the book. Cause I'm just like, Oh yeah. I know my story, you know, whatever. I know the beats of that, but like, I get pleasantly surprised when the, the backups come in you're like, Oh wow, that's cool. Like, that's great. It's so fun to have that in the book. Yeah, it definitely gives it a, a different feel. And and like you said, you feel like you're getting more kind of bang for your comic dollar. It's uh, it's mm -hmm. fantastic. Uh, well, to go back to Stillwater, for those that don't mm -hmm. know, it's this idea that in this town, uh, for some reason, we don't know at first and eventually it's revealed as a curse. You can't die. Right. If you're if you yeah. if you're hurt, you, you know, your body will regenerate and that sort of thing. Um and yeah, at the end, the borders are erased. And yeah, now we're talking about a still world, which was so interesting because you could have gone completely the other way and drawn a really small circle and said only, you know, if you stand in this one exact spot. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Damn, if only I could go back. Well, you know, maybe uh, if you ever return to it, you could uh, you know, do a short uh, about something like that. But still circle. Would, yeah, yeah, there you go. Still circle. Uh, but what's interesting about it, uh, so often we think, oh, man, how great would it be to live forever? Right. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of downside to living forever as well. And you really explored uh, a lot of that. So what was it that made you want to uh, write this story uh, about immortality? And, and, you know, there's a lot of political upheaval. It's a very political book, a lot of action. Um, so what was the kind of the impetus uh, of, of wanting to tell that story? I mean, a lot of stories about immortality kind of revolve around like sexy vampires. And like, you know, if you're reading an Anne Rice book, of course, they have, you know, their issues of living forever, like losing loved ones and stuff and boredom. But but there's still the sheen of kind of sexiness to it all. Uh, so I wanted to explore that where that's not the case. Like you can get into those issues without having the the trappings of like kind of vampire fiction. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it became a bit of a puzzle because like, once you come up with the idea of like, okay, everything within that border doesn't die. Okay. Well, what does it mean for like the cattle? What does it mean for kids? What does it mean for like plant life? Like, 
like wh- how how far do you take that kind of ex- experiment of thought um and how does that how do people kind of react to each other over a long period of time because that was the other element was community like it's one thing if one person lives forever but it's a totally different dynamic if everyone lives forever um so yeah that was super fun to explore uh i got I, I quite like working on that book especially with ramon because ramon is uh he's kind of a master at expression and he's really good at like actually kind of detailing that small town vibe of things as well so that really helped yeah and the thing about ramon's artwork uh there are several characters in the book uh you know galen obviously immediately comes to mind mm-hmm. who really go on quite a journey but when they're not actually growing <laughs> they're not actually changing uh, how do you show that evolution? Uh, and uh, yeah, Ramon, a lot of it was in kind of the facial work, the body language. Uh, Subtle stuff, yeah. Yeah, very, very impressive. So again, a series I highly recommend everybody. You know, we covered it uh, weekly uh, when it came out. So uh, definitely check it out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of your comicsology work. Uh, first, I have to ask. So we've got uh, All Nighter. We've got Afterlift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you purposely name your comicsology stuff to start with an a so it shows up at the top of the list alphabetically yeah it's amazon <laughs> it's the a of amazon i don't know it is yeah it is funny that it kind of just turned out that way I, I really need to do a third one to make it a thing yeah well we were just talking about Stillwater, and when it comes to all-nighter again we now here, here you are not not glamorous but here we are with immortals here we are with vampires yeah, yeah. uh again was it an idea that okay it's not, living forever is not all it's crack up to be. Um, but so interesting that the, the vampire Ian, so, you know, there's these vampires that they, there's a council, you've got the whole hierarchy, but Ian, he works at this all night diner. Uh, and one day he decides, Hey, you know, I've got these powers. I'm going to actually try to be a force for good. And it just gets the ball rolling and it, it goes from there. And the art is brilliant from Jason Liu. So uh, yeah. again, an open ended ending, the diner's closed. I kind of feel like if you ever go back to it, you could go in two directions. They go start working at another diner or as mentioned, they go and try to take out uh, the council. So do you have an idea if you do go back to it? Of what well, there, there actually is a third volume uh, on the, on the way it's, it started coming out actually through comiXology, but um, uh, it'll be in print for dark horse, probably next Christmas I'd imagine. So there is a, there's a third volume and um uh, Jason's already uh, drawn it all. Paris has colored it all, so it's 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 on the way. Um, and again, it it also it also has an ending that's kind of like, oh, you could revisit this. Um, it's probably one of the more happier endings I've done, but um, but yeah, yeah. So that that's one that's still still ongoing at least for for now. Well, well, and the other part of it is when first two volumes were released through comiXology they're they're released in whole you know like it goes to print I, I, and i think uh they were you know it was divided up into to issues but it was like 119 120 pages or what have you um so when you wrote it did you did you sit down and write those two volumes as you know whole stories in and of they themselves were, they released them as issues and then they released it as a collection so it was coming out i mean i think they they made it relatively close together like an issue would come out every like two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, then it kind of exists fully as a, uh, as a collection, gotcha. a digital collection. And then the, the dark horse stuff kind of uh, came into play. Um, so yeah, so it, it was still done as comic issues. And the interesting thing is like, because it is digital, like it's actually weirdly restrictive on panel layouts because mm-hmm. they don't want weird diagonal panels 
or anything because people read comicsology books with guided view. So as soon as you have a diagonal panel, it kind of messes with that. Right. So strangely, di- print is more freeing than digital in terms of like comic layout. You'd, you'd think the opposite would be true. Digital, you can do anything, but right. it's actually uh, print where you can do anything. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of creators that have done things on Webtoon and they talk about how, yeah, then when you want to put it in print, you've actually got to go back in and, you know, restructure everything. It can be uh, challenging. Yeah, you kind of have to, I think, with stuff like Webtoon, you kind of have to have in mind, like, oh, this is going to eventually be in print. This thing I'm doing right now, does that work? Like, yeah, yeah it's hard to have kind of both in your head at the same time. Yeah, on, on, on my podcast, we covered a Webtoon book called The Boxer. And uh, everyone else had the print version. I just had the webtoon version. And like, I enjoyed it far more, right. I think, because like I was reading it the way it was intended and mm-hmm. everyone had it kind of broken up in weird spots. I'm like, oh, you don't really have the impact um, in print that you do in digital. Yeah. And I would think, especially for someone like you who is an artist, you know, um, it, it's just so different. I mean, comics are so much the, the marriage of the visual and and the narrative. Um, to get that impact, to get that page turn, you know, even you, you turn the page and you start obviously in the upper left corner, but you, you have a sense of a wholeness uh, yeah. for that, those, dub, especially for like dust splash pages and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's true. Uh, well, we mentioned All Nighter. We have to mention uh, Afterlift, another one of your Eisner Award winning uh, Janice Chen. <laughs> Uh, is the uh, protagonist here. And she, just to kind of give everybody an idea, she picks up these two passengers, you know, kind of like an Uber type job. Uh, turns out they're being, the passengers she picks up are being chased by these otherworldly forces. And it, again, just goes down the rabbit hole. And she ends up uh, discovering her, her true purpose in life, was, which is kind of like um, maybe a facilitator, let's say, to the afterlife for people, wherever they're going to end up. Um, just a fascinating, fascinating characters that has so many layers. Um, and the thing I always wondered about it was, was this a story that came about like, okay, I have the idea and then I'm going to build it out. And, and Janice kind of came from that. Or was it the idea of Janice as a character first and then her story kind of built out because I, I could see it going either way. Yeah. Weirdly it started with daredevil. Okay. So I, I came up with the idea uh, right when I was starting work on Daredevil. Um, uh, Marco, the artist, had just come on board, and we were having—I wouldn't say fights, but we were having debates about um, uh, color, like trying to figure out the colorist and what the color scheme was going to be. Mm-hmm. And he really leaned towards um, a lot of blue at night, uh, which is kind of if you're dealing with art and paintings um that tends to be the default when things are you know showing uh evening it's like oh there's a blue tint over everything you know it's cooler at night but i was like well you know daredevil has to be hot like we're in hell's kitchen it's got to feel hot mm-hmm. so um so i wanted to show them examples of of imagery of uh of urban evenings uh, in the summer that kind of had that vibe. And so I ended up uh, rewatching some Michael Mann movies. Um, and the key one was Collateral. I don't know if you've seen Collateral. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where, you know, Tom Cruise is uh, with, going around in a car with Jamie Foxx. Um, uh, because that, that that movie has a lot of, like, it's all it all takes place over one night. It's in L.A. And there's a lot of greens and oranges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the color palette I kind of sent back to him to be like, this is the feel. 
But as I was watching Collateral, I'm just like, oh man, like Tom Cruise is so good in that. And it's almost like Jamie Foxx is like driving the devil. Right. And as, as soon as I had that thought, I'm like, oh, what if, what if he was driving the devil? Like, what would you do? Um, and so, so the idea kind of came from that. Uh, and I started to think about like, oh, you know, there's the river sticks, like the classic tale of, uh, of the, the ferryman bringing souls over. And uh, the modern version of that would be, you know, a ride share. And so, so I had like those broad strokes and then I started to get into, well, who would, who would be the driver and what would be their, their flaw or the thing that they have to work on through the story. Um, the thing that they have to kind of come to realize and, and, and that's how Janice was born. And yeah. So, so in a, in a case like that, you kind of, you have the broad strokes. And then when you start to get down into it, you're just like, okay, well, what's the actual story I'm trying to tell? Cause the story isn't just like, you know, someone drives someone across into the afterlife. Right. Like there's gotta be more to it. So um, the character of Jan is kind of built off of all the, uh, the kind of initial discoveries. Yeah, and then just like it did a deep dive into like world religions and what everyone's kind of concept of the afterlife was. Um, yeah, that was like one of the more kind of research heavy projects um, where I just kind of learned a lot as I went. Yeah. And again, you collaborated with Jason Liu. Uh, yeah. On that. Um, what is it about Jason's work that you uh, that you really like? And uh, do, do you think his work especially works in digital in the digital format? Uh, Jason, I've known Jason for a million years. He was my intern back at uh, a studio I used to work at. And during that period, like he was making his own comic called um, The Pitiful Human Lizard, which was amazing. It was super funny, really well done. And he did a bunch of issues of that. And he kind of just stopped doing comics for a bit. I think he got, got burnt out, some bad deals and things. And uh and I just, I always remember thinking like, what a shame. Like he's so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so he was like the first person I thought of when uh, I had this idea um, because I, I knew, I knew he could draw cities because like his comics took place in cities. I knew he was really good at drawing character beats. Um, uh, and I also knew he was fast. Like he could, he can produce at a really high level. And so, um, so he signed up to do that and, uh, and yeah, and he hasn't stopped. <laughs> like it's been wild to actually see his career. Cause like, he's just done so much stuff since then, like with me and without me. And now he's like, this like kind of digital superstar at Marvel. Like, um, he's got a great brain for it for sure. Like, like the digital stuff he does at Marvel is really smart and funny and works with the format. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. He's just he's he's all around a solid creator like he can write as well so it's like he doesn't need me <laughs> i'm grateful <laughs> that he's managed to do as many comics with me as he has um uh, because he definitely doesn't need me um and he's a quick study too like you know uh much like working with jacob who's younger i do get a little upset at how good they are um but like i remember jason was like oh, i don't really know how to draw cars like that was his thing. So he's like, so let me go practice drawing cars before I start the book. I'm like, yeah, sure. He'd send me some sketches of cars. I'm like, those are pretty good. And the next ones were just better. And the next ones were just better. And all of a sudden he's like a pro at drawing cars. I'm like, what? <laughs> like I've been drawing <laughs> comics for, for decades and I can't draw a decent car. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Uh, well, you you mentioned Daredevil. Obviously, we have to talk about it. Just a, a long, epic run at uh, at Marvel. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, you're not you're doing an ongoing at Marvel currently. No, no. Yeah, Batman's my only ongoing, really. But maybe there's something coming up that you can't talk about yet. We'll have to keep our uh, ears nope. open. No, <laughs> no, I mean, we've got, I've got a mini because there's a Avengers Twilight, which is coming out in this month, I think. Um, but that's a mini I finished years ago. <laughs> like gotcha. I started writing that in 2019. Um, it just took a long time for the art to get done. Are you just wanting to f- focus on your creator own right now for the most part? There's that, but also Batman's kind of a full-time job gotcha. because, you know, I mean, even like, like next month in February, there's going to be three issues of Batman coming out that 30 pages each. Mm. That's 90 pages yeah. in one month yeah. of Batman. It's, yeah. It's um, a lot. It's a, it's a lot. And so like stuff like that'll happen. And there are more meetings involved with a title like Batman yep. because it does affect so many other titles uh, in the DC universe. Yep. Um, so yeah, yeah. That writing Batman is kind of like writing two or three normal books. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I'd say in, in terms of the workload. Yeah. Well, I have to ask this because there seems to be this tradition for you writers of Daredevil. When you end your run to leave him in like the worst possible place, you got a little bit of a break. Uh, Charles killed him, but then you had Jed McKay that actually wrote this uh, kind of transitional <laughs> yeah. series. Was that your call? Was that Marvel? Like, how did that come about? Well, it's it's, it's a funny one because uh, originally when I was taking over, daredevil i was in new york and i was having lunch with the editor and with charles and we talked a bit about the pass off uh, he hadn't quite come to his ending yet and uh and i made a joke about what you were saying about daredevil writers screwing each other over and yeah. charles went charles went that's a great idea i'm gonna <laughs> kill daredevil i'm like what no you can't like i've already started to write <laughs> like the new series yeah like we got the plan he's like oh don't worry don't worry don't worry i won't kill kill him they didn't like he 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 quote unquote killed him at the end of his run, but then like he woke up in a hospital. Like right. it was it was there was a bit of a it was all a dream yeah. kind of a sequence happening there. Um, but he he left him broken, and so I was okay with just picking it up where he's just like recovering, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I did. But Marvel was still like we had there was gonna be a month without Daredevil comics because of the timing because mm-hmm. our issue was coming out in February, I think. And Charles was ending in December. And they're like, we got to put something out. Uh, and also I think there was like, frankly, I think it was a bit of a trademark thing happening as well. Like that, cause Jed's series was called like the man without fear. And I yeah. think Marvel was in danger of losing the trademark or something. If they didn't put out a comic gotcha. called the man without fear. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was their big idea. And like, Oh my God, when they told me what Jed had to do for five issues, which was basically, have Matt Murdock be in a hospital bed for five issues. Yeah. Like, what a thankless job. Like, yeah. you know, a part of me is like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to write that. <laughs> and, you know, Jed, I don't think he'd done anything for Marvel at that point, maybe something tiny. So this was like his first kind of big thing. And so he did it and he did it extremely well, like clearly because like, he's now like their superstar writer. Like he proved himself on that, those five issues. Like he could tell a really engaging story where the main character doesn't leave the bed. <laughs> Like it was very impressive. Yeah, it was such a uh, a great transition um, because yeah, you're right. He, he was Daredevil. You know, Matt was completely broken at the end of Charles's uh, run, and and you know, Jed series 
him questioning himself, who, who am I, which version of daredevil am I, do I want to keep doing this, mm-hmm. which dovetailed into the beginning of your run where he's trying to recover, asking himself those same questions. And I feel like for the first half of your run, there was still action, but it really focused on the emotion, the impact, who Matt was. And then you transitioned to all out action all the way to yeah. the end, your, your second volume, uh, just it was such a fantastic, well-paced um, story that that ramped up to that conclusion. So when you started, did you kind of know the complete story and how it was going to build to that ending? I, I, I knew most of it. I knew a lot of broad strokes and I knew the ending. So um, really what I wanted to do was like start as small as possible and build to as big as possible kind of over the period of the story. Um, and, you know, so the smallest possible is like, stopping a liquor store robbery and a guy hits his head and dies. Like that was, that's like street level, very small. Uh, and, um, you know, much like, cause we've got the character Goldie in there. Um, who's all about the kind of the chain reaction of things. So, so that was kind of like the, the overall arc is the chain reaction of that. Cause everything stems from that moment, that, right. that slight misstep, you know, maybe he was on painkillers, you know, whatever it was it like, cause that death um everything for the rest of the series is sprung from that like uh, all the dominoes just kept hitting other dominoes and it was bigger and bigger and bigger um so yeah so i had i had the broad strokes of all that there were a few elements that didn't come until later like electra's daredevil didn't come until later that was one of those things where i was actually just like kind of having a discussion with my editors while i was in new york and we were talking about like like a future arc and um you know they 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 i think they had some reluctance as well because like I, I spent so much of my first you know almost 20 issues of of matt not being daredevil mm-hmm. uh and then we're gonna put him in prison where he's technically gonna be daredevil in prison but like it's again <laughs> it's not really a superhero daredevil comic and so they're like well what's happening on the outside like like who's who's gonna be picking up the you know the pieces and like it just clicked. I think, I think we all just kind of looked at each other in the same room at the same time. Just like, Oh my God, Electra is perfect. Cause like we had her manipulating him and this could be part of the manipulation. Uh, and then she could have a proper arc where she could like kind of discover things about herself by wearing the costume by, by, you know, by pretending to be a thing, she ends up becoming the thing by the end. Um, so yeah, there, the, the, but, but most of it was kind of, figured out uh devil's reign was uh, a part that like was much much smaller kind of in my original outline but the book was doing well enough that marvel basically said like hey like that sounds cool that thing you're talking about like maybe we can make that an event like oh okay well you know kind of changes things a little bit but um but it ended up being so cool because like i got to see marco draw all these characters right like mark Mar- 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 drew the whole thing which is also awesome the fact that he managed to do all those kind of exercise event issues uh with all those characters and didn't need a fill-in artist that was awesome yeah i mean marco drew drew the majority of both series and for me well, like when i look at that run of daredevil and i look at the art it's the silliest thing of why i love the art but it's marco drawing electra's hair That's <laughs> yeah yeah my favorite thing yeah, it's like a symbiote. 
Yeah, it's just awesome. It's so good. Like I always recognize that as uh, as Marco. I don't uh, know how other- he does. I don't know how he does it because like when I when I do conventions, I do a lot of sketches for people, and sometimes people will request you know Electro Daredevil. I'm like, yeah, sure. And I start to do the hair. I'm just like, oh, I'm just fucking it up. Like Marco's <laughs> so much better at that than I am. Yeah, it's fan- it's fantastic. The other thing that it uh, that really worked with it, it really dovetailed into what was going on uh in Punisher that uh hmm. that Jason was doing. So uh was that something when Jason started doing Punisher and what Frank was going through that you're like, oh, that works perfectly with what I had planned. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things where we had it was during COVID, I remember, and we had like one of the um the online kind of Marvel summits, mm-hmm. all the writers and editors. And um the editor of that book, Tom, announced, you know, well we're doing a Punisher mini. And Jason's writing. And then Jason kind of talked through his story. And we were all just like, this is amazing. Like, Jason's the best at pitching and he's the best at writing. He's just an all around outstanding writer. But um, uh, he pitched the story and we're all just like, this is awesome. But then uh, in the back of my head, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, my whole story revolves around the hand. Mm-hmm. Like, how are we going to do this? Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess with his story because right. it was so good. And so that just kind of became a discussion between the departments because it wasn't, they weren't in the same office, right? Like, uh, weirdly, they weren't in the same office. Like, usually you think Punisher would be kind of with the street heroes, but right. um, but Tom Brevoor was editing that. And he's like the, he was the Avengers mm-hmm. kind of editor. Um, so there was, there ended up being a lot of kind of cross, kind of cross office kind of pollination of like what we can do to make this really work together uh, without ruining each other's stories and without, without forcing people to read each other's book as well. That's the other key. Like you don't want to be like, all right, go check this out. If you want to understand what's happening here. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it was a lot of talks with Jason. And then I, I kind of wrote up like a a massive outline that kind of showed each month where the characters are going to be and how this could work. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of spreadsheets in comics. A lot of people don't <laughs> realize that in terms of the planning. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it worked out. I think it worked out really well. And like, yeah, yeah. That Punisher mini was so, so damn good too. Yeah, it really was. And and by the end of your run, it's like, you know, you mentioned it starting from this very street level liquor store robbery to, you know, heaven and hell, you know, life and death, like the, the biggest stakes possible. Yeah. Dragons uh, and yeah. The president is dead. And yeah, yeah just absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing. Bonkers. And, and yeah, you leave, and Matt's dead supposedly, but you didn't quite do what Charles did. We did get, no. you know, a hint that, you know, he's back. We don't know uh, exactly the mystery. Uh, and then the new volume obviously has started uh, with Saladin Ahmed um, writing it. And that's excellent as well. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you know, any of the beats have you and Saladin talked yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So that was a, one of the nice things about working on a project kind of long-term and knowing the ending is that I, I, I knew when I was done. Like I knew like a year and a half before that issue was going to come out, I was able to say to Marvel, we're going to, you know, the end of volume two, issue 14. That's mm-hmm. that's it. And this is what happens. Like I'm leaving Matt as a priest and uh, we're going to end with him, like, picking up the, the club and going into the alley, fade to black. Like, like I knew all of that. Yeah. Um, so that made it very easy for them. And I think a lot easier for Saladin to know exactly what he was inheriting early. So he could really dig in and um, catch himself up on everything and, and really think about the story he wants to tell based on that. 
so that was fun because um I was able to have like a phone call with him where I kind of talked him through it and he told me what his ideas were. I'm like, that's awesome. We kind of just kind of went back and forth on it. He sent me kind of his outline. So I'm like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Like part of me doesn't even really want to know this. Cause I want to be able to read it as a right. writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that in uh, you, you know, you had your little uh, essay in the back of the final issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You get to be a reader of daredevil again. Yeah. It's, it's the weird thing where like I've been reading daredevil basically since I was like, 15 probably 16 um pretty consistently too and so this is the longest stretch i've gone without reading a daredevil book because i was writing the daredevil book yeah, that's so which funny. is a problem only one person has in the world at any given point yeah that's that's, fasc- that's fascinating yeah uh well now you have that problem with batman you mentioned uh what a full-time job it is uh so again i have to ask Ending in mind, knew the story you were going to tell. Uh, is this a bucket list character for you? Oh, 100% a bucket list. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's the only book that I would have said yes to during that period when it was offered to me because I already had too much on my plate. And uh, even when they offered it to me, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, it's just like the time commitment was uh, was a lot. Um, and so with, with with Batman, I have like, Similar to Daredevil, I've got beats. It's not as tightly plotted because Batman touches so many things. I can't really do that. Yep. I have to be able to kind of roll with the punches a little bit. Like Daredevil's not an Avenger. He's not on the X-Men. He's not Fantastic Four. Like you can do whatever you want. Like having Daredevil not in costume for 10 issues is fine. Right. <laughs> you know, if Batman had to like shave, I have to send an email to the head of the toy department to let them know. <laughs> So there's 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 more, um, yeah. There's there's more I have to kind of like take into consideration with Batman. Like if I want Commissioner Gordon to show up, like you think that'd be easy? No, it's not because they've got him doing all sorts of things. Right. Like all the Robins. Like it's a it's a similar situation where like oh, I want Damien in this issue. Like well, actually Damien's going to be in hell or in space or wherever. I'm like right. oh god, like. I thought these were Batman characters. Yeah. So you have to be able you have to be able to roll with those punches a bit more. So so while I have the major beats of kind of what I've got planned uh laid out, there's there's stuff in between that gets a little bit mushy because I gotta like I have to again roll with those punches as they kind of come. Yeah, and it seemed like that was the case with with Gotham War. And I, I have to tell you, so on our podcast, uh Rocky, uh my podcast partner, and I had some pretty furious debates. Some of them on the podcast. <laughs> One time we argued for like 45 minutes before we started recording about Gotham War. And, he, you know, he was it. going on and on about how, you know, he couldn't believe that the Bat family was going along with what Selena was doing. He couldn't believe that crime had, you know, actually reduced by 75%. I kept telling him, okay, first of all, we got to go by what DC editorial is telling us. And they're saying it's 75%. So that's not, that's yeah, just yeah. what it is. I go, and and if that's actually the case, you got to have a conversation. That is a good thing. You got to have a conversation. But we just went back and forth and back and forth. But what was interesting about the event is halfway through, it kind of shifted from that to a Vandal Savage story. Yeah. So yeah. Talk, talk to me about Gotham War and the challenges uh, of, of that story. Well, I, I love that you guys had the debate because I think I think that's kind of what we were going for. We want yeah, to be like, no, did. they wouldn't be on this side or you wouldn't be on that side. It was a similar thing with like when Civil War was coming out. Yep. People furious that like this person was on this side or that side because it depends on what your own beliefs 
are, right? Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone likes to wants to believe that like the hero that they're reading would line up with what they think. And so if they step out of that, it's like, wait, no, no, you're a hero. So you got to line up with what I believe, not thinking that there's a lot of different, you know, beliefs that consider them to be right and good. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So I, <laughs> I like that you guys had that reaction. That's great. Um, yeah. Cause it's like a, it's almost like a harm reduction kind of metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, like actually kind of going in and, um, and helping, uh, and, and, and how that affects the rest of society. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, especially when you think of like the makeup of like Gotham, it's all goons. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many goons. You always and, say, why would anyone want to live there? I know there's, there's so many like low level bad guys. It's like, well, if like we, if we got rid of those bad guys or just had them like do something else, how would that change things? Like giving them an opportunity. And, you know, of course the, the catch is the opportunity is a bad one. Mm-hmm. Like they're still committing crime. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, Tini and I had a lot of fun just kind of debating that and trying to figure out um yeah, what would kind of pull people in, in both ways. And it's funny, like, we actually thought it would be a, more of a split, like a Civil War style split, like half the Bat family here, half the Bat family there. But like, when you start looking at the characters and being like, well, would they actually side with Batman on this? Like, all of a sudden, we just had more over on the Selena side until we threw in Vandal Savage and kind of messed things up, um, which is also just like, it's hard to keep those things secret. And it was kind of for us, added a real fun element a twist to it because we don't want the heroes versus hero stories are fine um i enjoy them but you don't want it to just be that like it's it's kind of has to you kind of need an enemy to kind of pull everyone together towards the end of something like that and so vandal savage felt like a, a good ex- good example yeah, and what was interesting for me, and I kept telling Rocky, I'm like, it's possible for both people to be wrong. <laughs> I don't necessarily yeah, yeah. Pick a side; they both could be. It's just you know to what degree, if you will. And it was yeah. like, yeah, the ba- Bat Family just wants Batman to stop. At, hey, let's think about this logically. Which that's the other part of your run, Batman acting out of character because of all this trauma that he's been going through, mm-hmm. uh, and where he is currently, um, kind of going out on his own and leaving behind those characters. Is that something yeah. you just want to explore the core of who Bruce is as Batman right now? Or is it, hey, man, I don't want to have to send all these emails about using these other characters. Or maybe it's a bit no. of both. I mean, a lot of it is like, I, I like Bat Family stories, but I also like kind of solo Batman stories. But the real answer is the Zer and R of it. Like, mm. you know, that was the seed that we kind of laid pretty early right. in the run. And it's clearly affecting Batman's decision-making process. Like, like Gotham War wouldn't have happened um, without Zerinar in his head, right? Like he would have, he would have, like, he wouldn't have stormed out of the meeting. He wouldn't have like taken such a hardline stance. But like, he's got a hardline character in his head right now, and that's that's kind of messing him up. Um, so yeah, yeah. We I want I wanted to show him, yeah, set apart from the Bat family because um, if the Bat family are around, it's it's too easy to kind of diagnose and help him. Um, but, but to remove him from that and have him kind of be a bit of a solo Batman for a little bit, uh, just kind of made sense for the story. Yeah. Um, there's been a debate for a while now. Uh, we've talked about it on our podcast about power creep with, with Batman. Um, just because so many great stories have been told. And as a writer, I think you want to, you know, put your stamp on him and 
you know, the tendency to do something even crazier. You had him, you know, leap from space. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, do you worry about that at all? Him becoming t- too powerful, too, uh, you know, too much of a deus ex machina? Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the joy of writing Batman is that you can kind of do both those stories. You know, there's the the, the Morrison Bat God style, and then there's mm-hmm. like Frank Miller year one style. And so there's a, there's a very... Solid reason for why we went from the failsafe arc into the Batman in Gotham uh, arc, um, because I wanted to show him with nothing, like a, like legit with nothing, where like mm-hmm. he had to go to the hardware store to get his supplies to build some bat stuff, yep. and you know he was having trouble fighting cops. Um, yeah, yeah, because I think there's room for both stories, like as long as you can kind of make it kind of work within within the parameters that you've set up. Uh, in the world, um, you can have any type of Batman story. So the the power creep is like, and, and we all try to work around it. Like I said, I put him in a different universe to work around it. Yeah. Um, James got rid of his fortune to work around it, but even without the fortune, it was just like, well, he still has all his toys. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like it didn't didn't seem to affect things that much, which is kind of why you know, again, that Batman of Gotham arc happened. Um, so with the power creep stuff, it's why you end up doing things like messing with them mentally, separating him from the bat family, you know, like I've got an issue coming up where he's like, he's hot wearing a pickup truck. Like <laughs> it's a, it's a far cry from like, you know, falling from the moon, Yeah. but you know, falling from the moon is also just like a cool ass comic thing <laughs> yeah. in my personal opinion. <laughs> oh man. I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. It didn't necessarily, like it made sense, but I don't yeah. know if it worked for me. I, I was, I was yeah, yeah. against it, but once again, you caused a debate because Rocky absolutely loved it. That was his book of the week. <laughs> and I was like, I just can't see somebody surviving this, but Hey, comp- it's, it's one of those things. Like it, it, like the parameters of the world. It's so funny. Like, um, like Batman swings around the city. Like that's impossible. Yeah. There's no, oh, yeah. there's no, there's no human has ever lived who were uh, ever live who can just like shoot a little gun and then swing from one end of a city to another. Yep. And that, like, that was Rocky's point. Yeah. He was like, wait, <laughs> you, you believe all the other superhero stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, this yeah. is where you draw the line. I was like, okay. Well, I mean, the, the, the fun part about that was like, you know, I, I knew that situation was coming up and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta figure out like some science behind this. Yeah. Like where you take into account, yes, he's Batman and he's got he's got the gear, but like how how are we gonna make this plausible within the comic book? And so I, I end up reaching out to Ryan North, writer of Fantastic Four, who's also like a computer science genius. Um, and he wrote a, a science book about the science of supervillains. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's just on a whole other level. So I talked to him a lot about it, about like the lack of friction in space and the amount of time like you could exist with you know provided your batman suit protected you provided like you have enough oxygen how much oxygen will get you to this point what point do the the g's knock you out at what point do does the atmosphere mess with you how fast can you go in space um it turns out very fast (laughs) because there's no friction right so so there's all these like weird little bits and so i I made sure to lay out you know the quote-unquote science in it um to try and make it plausible but uh but in the end i'm just like it's just it's just fun it's It's just fun fun. and then like and then seeing jorge oh man when jorge draws like when it comes crashing down um 
and then Batman stands up just with like singe marks and stuff, just yeah. like cool Batman pose up in the Arctic. I'm like, oh, that's that's a Batman drawing. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and that was Rocky's point. It was just a heck of a lot of fun. And for me, the fact that you did put in that science stuff, talking about the angle of reentry and that sort of thing, I was like, well, at least you know, Chip did his homework and he's trying to make oh, yeah. it as realistic as possible. Yeah, I put in the work. I put in the yeah. work. <laughs> uh, well, from that moment to fail safe's reveal, um, you know, a little bit earlier, the Zuranaw reveal, obviously the Vandal Savage and Gotham War. Uh, there have been uh, Batman getting his hand chopped off. There have been some really impactful story beats that you've had without spoiling. Is there something coming up? I mean, you mentioned the three issues next month. Uh, are, is there one or several story beats coming up that you can't wait to see what reader reaction is going to be? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch. Like I, I try, I feel like part of the job of the comic book writer, especially when you're dealing with single issues is um, you want at least one kind of cool moment in each issue like it can't just be like pushing the plot forward or character development like you kind of also just need like a badass moment a cool moment a surprise like something to get people interested talking um there's there's a bunch of that coming up for sure yeah in february we've got the um the joker year one storyline um which is like basically you know 90 pages um uh, giuseppe and uh, andrea doing the art on it while jorge kind of catches up uh, on the issues after that. And um, yeah, with that, we get into kind of Joker and his kind of connection to some of Batman's past. And um, yeah, we're not like revealing the Joker's name or anything like that. Like we're not showing his family life before. Yeah. Um, I think some things about Joker are kind of best left as uh, enigma and mystery, but we are kind of exploring that period between him coming out of the the acid bath and before he you know finally goes toe to toe with batman um and i think there's some kind of fun joker gets his groove kind of beats in there i think people are gonna like and yeah we we, we touch a little bit more on like the three joker stuff like i um you know i started my whole run with a splash page of like batman's vision of these three jokers and um the story we're telling is kind of like the the continuity the continuity continuation of what like Jeff Johns did back in the day where he had like Batman discovered that there's three jokers when he was in Metron's chair. Right. Uh, if you remember the justice sure. league story, oh, yeah. you know, that prompted him to do his three Kings um, miniseries with Jason. Um, but DC's like, they love that. And they want him to do more of that, obviously. Um, but they're also like, but that's also kind of out of continuity right? because of like where the characters are and what happens. So, you know, there's still the, the big question mark of like, what did that moment mean in continuity when Batman realized that there were three of them? So, so we, we get into a bit of that in, in the Joker year one stuff as well. Well, uh, like you said, I, I think the Joker works best when he does have some mystery about him. So I hope there's never like a definitive hint, kind of like Wolverine, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. even though it's a great story from Paul Jenkins, I kind of wish it, you know, they hadn't done it and it was still a mystery. Um, yeah, I know at the time, like, I think the reasoning there was if we don't tell the story, someone else is going to, because at that right. point, the X-Men movies were taking off and it was just like, yeah. what do you do? Yeah. So I, I get that. And like, you know, Joker, obviously in the Todd Phillips Joker movie, they had a Joker origin in mm-hmm. quotes. And in the original Batman movie, they had the Joker origin as well. Right. Yeah. Um, 
so you know that 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 kind of ship has left the station or train has left the station horse has left the barn whatever <laughs> whatever the metaphor is yeah but i but i but i like the fact that in comics that we we haven't done that like we yeah. hint at it obviously here and there um you know the killing joke is probably the best possible version of that by having the you know quote unquote multiple choice of it all yeah um so yeah i definitely don't want to uh i don't want to get into you know how joker was raised or anything like that yeah and he, when he was a kid he went to the circus and he saw a clown <laughs> oh some foreshadowing for oh, you like God. i don't want to i don't want to you know do that kind of like cheesy ass or yeah, as horribly cliched as possible well he's definitely a fan favorite villain um are yeah. and, and batman you know he's known for having the best rogues gallery in comics are there any villains um that you haven't that you love that you uh, batman rogue gallery villains that you haven't had a chance to uh explore yet and should oh and, yeah yeah we'll we'll see them coming up eventually yeah yeah i mean here's hoping again it's the kind of thing where um they're, they they get used elsewhere so much oh, like yeah. it's, it's it's hard to like you know i've definitely had storylines that i've kind of like thrown out there that i'm just like oh i'd love to do a story with this character about this and this and this and then i find out oh they're being used over here I'm like right. okay all right all right that's fine you can't get too greedy like i think as like I think as a Batman writer, I could probably like throw my weight around a little bit and go like, guess what? I'm taking that character now. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? But like, but I'm here. The Batman title is there to support the other books as well. Cause mm-hmm. it's obviously we don't necessarily need, um, I, I was going to say the sales, but we do need the sales, yeah. but we don't need them as much as the other books. So like yeah. if, if say having Mr. Freeze show up in a title helps that book, um, then, then I'm I'm happy for that to happen. Yeah, that's just an example. That's not necessarily a specific thing, but like, um, it could be could be any character. But like, yeah, if 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 their appearance in other books helps those books out, that's fine. We're we're Batman, so we'll figure yeah. something else out, right? Yeah, and it's uh, it is a responsibility. I mean, the way we put it on our podcast uh, constantly is, uh, Batman's the engine that makes DC go. So. You know, yeah. you, you probably feel a little bit of responsibility to, you know, obviously do your best. I'm sure you always try to do your best. But, yeah, yeah it is. If Batman's selling well, there is, uh, you know, there's kind of an ancillary effect with other titles. Yeah. Yeah. I like, try not to think about it too much. Like writing Batman is the same as writing Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Like you still sit down, you're writing the same number of words on a page. Like you're still you're still thinking it through to the same degree. It's not like I'm like, oh, Batman's going to work harder and. and right. And be a better writer now like well no like like you, you put your all into every gig mm-hmm. if you don't then you should probably cut back on the gigs right um yeah i try not to think about like well i mean i don't even have to think about that much like like if for some reason my batman title was flagging in sales or there was an issue with you know how many we were selling per month i would quickly be fired Right. very quickly because they need they need that book to do extremely well mm-hmm. like that's just what it is um you know it's funny like the, the the lower selling titles you're always in danger of being fired and the highest selling ones you're in danger of being fired it's the mid-selling ones <laughs> that you can <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. like like they're to like keep going yeah. just well enough that i can keep going and marvel doesn't rely on that to like lift a bunch of other boats um but with batman you yeah. know Got more eyes on you and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if Amazing Spider-Man on Marvel side or if X-Men, you know, starts to flag, then then that's a problem because all the other books that surround it are yeah. gonna feel that impact. Um, so yeah, so that's 
you know, real, real uh, high class problems I got here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chip, your love of comics is so evident in uh, talking to you. It's been an absolute blast going through these books. Uh, as we're winding down here, anything else you want to share with our listeners? Anything you have coming up you want to tease? Anything oh, man. Um, geez. Well, I'll, I'll throw out there just a few things. The, um, um, the Chip Starsky Spider-Man Omnibus came out in December. Uh, it's just this gigantic bad boy, which collects all my Spider-Man stuff, which is super fun. I suggest people check that out. There's a Devil's Reign one coming out, I think, next month, maybe later this month, which should also be pretty fun. Um, it's the 10th anniversary of Sex Criminals, so we're going to be doing a bunch of stuff coming up, uh, um, including a, like a, a giant softcover collection of everything, mm. which is going to be great to finally have. Um, what else? New Burn, we're coming to an end with issue 16. So uh, probably not the best time to jump on board, but volume one and volume two are going to be a real nice collection, I think. Um, geez, what else? Yeah, and Avengers Twilight, which is the, the book I'm doing with uh, Daniel Acuna on art. Um, that starts coming out this month, and it's like a future set Avengers tale, and Daniel, every page is should be in a museum. It's just beautiful. Yeah, he's uh, he's very talented. Uh, again, Chip, thank you so much for taking the time. If people want to follow along, know when these things are coming out. Is your Substack the best place? Yeah, yeah, for now. Okay, who so knows? Funny. Who knows what the new year will bring? Yeah, yeah, who knows? Social media is such a mess these days. But I'll put a link to Chip Substack in the show notes, everybody. So if you want to be uh, up to date on when new things are coming out and uh, follow along with the newsletter, it's a great community. Um, a lot of great uh back and forth in the comments, just click there, go and, uh, and give ship a follow. So, uh, all the best in 2024 chip. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Jace. And to you listeners, we want to thank you for your support as always. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.